Well, good evening, brethren. We're just about to go live, just doing a quick sound check. Just uh, confirm for me, please, that you uh, hear my voice and I'm coming through clearly. And I see uh, Christine, Murray, JD, Ray, RJ. Welcome. Thanks for joining tonight. Denise, Marion, Rick Four, and Wesley. Greetings. Just uh, waiting for confirmation that you can hear my voice, and I'll check over on Facebook as well. And Cynthia, thanks very much for the confirmation on Facebook. That's great. Okay, we'll just start in a little bit. And uh, Ray, I'm seeing everybody else has sound, so you may just want to check your system, your volume, uh, make sure you're not on mute, etc. Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study, and we are up to Judges chapter 8. Let's begin with a word of prayer, and then we can get straight into the study for this evening. Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you and we praise you, great God, for your loving kindness and mercy. And we know, Father, that you are grieved right now as you look down from heaven, and you just see the violence all over this world, and you did warn us that at the time of Christ's return, it will be as in the days of Noah. In those days, Father, violence covered the earth and it repented you that you had made man. <clears throat> Father, we pray for your protection. We pray for your mercy. And we pray especially, Father, for protection from deception. We thank you for your word and we pray, God, that it will be a lamp unto our feet and that through the light that comes from your word, Father, we can disassociate ourselves with wicked and evil men who will wax worse and worse and we can conform to the mind of Jesus Christ. We praise you, Father. We ask your blessing on our study now. We pray in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So, uh, brethren, let us begin then and get into the study for this evening. We are into uh, Judges, or up to Judges chapter 8. And I just want to go back to uh, Judges 7, just the tail end, just so that we do have the context. And you'll remember here with uh, Gideon's career here, where he now has gained the confidence to go after the uh, Midianite and the, the men from the east and the Amalekites. And just here in chapter uh, 7 and verse 23, the tail end of chapter 7, and the men of Israel gathered themselves together 
out of Naphtali and out of Asher and out of all Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites. So uh, 300 men were the, the army of Gideon and they went and they routed the Midianites and, they, and God caused the Midianites to slaughter each other. And now the Midianites are on the run and Gideon recruits these other tribes of Northern Israel to help him go after the Midianites. So we see in Naphtali, and we saw uh, previously in uh, chapter 5, uh, Deborah upbraided Asher because Asher did not uh, involve themselves in the fight. But here they do. So people come from Naphtali, they come from Asher, they come from Manasseh, and they pursue after the Midianites. And then Gideon sent messengers uh, throughout all Mount Ephraim, so remember now, Ephraim is the largest tribe of the north, and it's really the head tribe. So they are the, the leading tribe of, of the Israelites. And Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, come down against the Midianites. So these messengers run up to Ephraim, and they say, you've got to help us. Come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters of Bethbara and Jordan. So now as the Midianites are fleeing north, the, the, the uh, tribe of Ephraim can cut them off. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. And they took two princes of the Midianites. These are very two prominent men of the Midianites. They, the Ephraimites captured them. Remember, uh, Israel has been under subjection to these people for seven years. Deep, heavy oppression. And now the tables are turning. And, and so Ephraim, are they going to pursue this with enthusiasm and with real uh, focus? And so they managed to capture now uh, two of the princes, Oreb and Zeb, and they slew Oreb upon the rock Oreb, and Zeb they slew at the winepress of Zeb. So these are very prominent men. They have these uh, places named after them. All of the Midianites look up to these princes. Ephraim captures them and slays them. And they pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of Jordan. So quite a conquest. Now we come to chapter 8. And the men of Ephraim said unto Gideon, Why have you treated us like this? Why have you served us thus, that you called us not when you went to fight with the Midianites? Like, we, what, what have you done here? You went to fight against the Midianites, and you didn't call us? We, we are Ephraim. We don't get it. Like, what are you doing here? And they did chide him sharply. Basically, how dare you? How dare you do something like this and not call us the tribe of Ephraim? Basically, the head of Israel. And they did chide him sharply. And he said unto them, What have I done now in comparison to you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abizer? So he's saying, look, I just come from this small clan, Abizer. We're nothing, we're nobody. You're Ephraim. And even what's left over after you do all your gleaning, that's greater than anything we have in Abizer. So basically he flatters them. He doesn't say to them, look, this is what God instructed. And God did not want, if we, if we bring the biggest tribe of Israel to come and conquer uh, uh, the Midianites, then clearly we can give the success and the credit to ourselves. But this is the exact opposite of what God wanted. What God wanted is for all Israel to look and see what happened and say, praise be to God. 
we we don't understand how this could have happened uh, with just a um, with just a small three hundred man army. So, and I'm just seeing some something on the chat here that uh, some folks are looking for the broadcast. I'm not sure. Well, I'm I'm looking at the chat and I'm seeing the broadcast is coming through. So hopefully uh, they are able to find that and uh, see some people on YouTube. Ardith, thanks. You're on YouTube watching from Wichita, Kansas. That's wonderful. Aldemera, wonderful. Good to see you. And Cynthia. Okay, so I think people are finding the broadcast. I'm not sure, uh, Don, Don S or Don ES, um, what's happening for you. But hopefully you're, you'll, you'll catch on to us. So, yeah, so, so <laughs> instead of Gideon standing up for God and saying, don't you get it? Um, this is by God's design. You're the biggest tribe. You're the head tribe. If you took down Midian, you'd give the credit to yourself. Gideon doesn't say that. Instead, he flatters them and says, oh, the little thing that you do is greater than the best that we could do. We're Abizer, you're Ephraim. So uh, verse 3 now, he says, God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. Like, this is a big takedown. And you did it, oh, Ephraim. You're just so wonderful, Ephraim. Look what you did, Ephraim. You took down these princes, Oreb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison to you? Then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. And I think this is a miss. This is very unfortunate because God was very clear to Gideon, I don't want Israel to give themselves credit. So rather than give the credit to God, what, if, what uh, Gideon does is he flatters Ephraim and says, the little, the, look what you guys do. You, you took down the princes. You're amazing. You're wonderful. You're powerful. And then that calms them down. You know, a soft answer turns away wrath. So it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we are wonderful. I'm, I'm glad you know your place. And I'm glad you know that we're wonderful. So their anger, they calm down. So again, we're looking at Gideon's career. And yes, he, he took down the Midianites. And it took a lot for God to get him to the place where he would actually believe God and do it. But he did it. That's wonderful. But the beginning was a little bit ropey. And now we see the end of Gideon is also ropey. And the point that I'm making here as we study judges in particular, and in particular this judge, is when God sends a man to save his people so that he can have mercy upon his people, who are we to demand perfection from that man? Well, I won't accept Gideon because he's not perfect. I see all kinds of flaws in this man. Therefore, I don't want the salvation. I don't want the help that God is sending. That is ridiculous. God chooses who to use. God chooses who he uses. And he works through flawed instruments. And it's our job to recognize that God is doing something here. That the Midianites are oppressing his people for seven years. And it's a deep, harmful oppression. And God uses a very flawed man to save them. So that Israel would acknowledge, praise be to God. Look at the love. Look at the covenant love God has for us. And it's already going sideways. Instead of, God, instead of Gideon saying, look, I'm nobody. Look how flawed I am. God chose me so that you would not boast in yourself. You would not boast in your strength. That, you know, he uses a cartoon character, but he saves Israel through the cartoon character because he has such a great covenant love for Israel. So, <clears throat> excuse me, Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him faint 
yet pursuing them. So these 300 men are, they're like a band of brothers and they are very clear on their mission and they're very loyal to, to Gideon. Now, these are the men that God handpicked to work with Gideon. And, you know, they're not the stars of Israel. These, these are sort of the lowest class of Israel that God says, I'm going to save Israel through these men. Excuse me. Excuse me. And he said unto the men of Succoth, Give, I pray you, see these are Israelites that he's speaking to, they're in Succoth. Uh, Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me. So there's 300 men that are following me, we're saving Israel, we're pursuing Midian. Please give them some bread, <clears throat> for they are faint. So they're, you know, this is this is intense, you know, think of a, a, an athlete running a marathon here and all of the physical activity and, and how that's going to drain them, and they're they're faint. And I'm pursuing after Ziba and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. So you would think here that if I tell you, after seven years of oppression, that I'm pursuing these people, and I'm going to take them down on behalf of all Israel, that you would help me. You know, if I say to you, look, I'm going after Twitter, and I'm going after Facebook, and I'm going after Google, so we can cast off this oppression, and we can have some freedom here, I would think you would support me. I think you would, you would be glad that the oppression is going to be lifted. No, I'm going after the kings of Midian. And so you people of Israel, can you help me? Can you feed my men so that we can help you? And the princes, the leaders of Succoth said, are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna now in your hand that we should give bread unto your army? Like basically what they're saying here is, um, okay, that's, that's really nice that you're going after the kings of Midian. Uh, have you done it yet? Because if you haven't done it yet, I wouldn't be boasting if I were you. you know. So, so we're going to help you. And then when you lose, these kings, Ziba and Zalmunna, are going to come after us? I don't think so. Like if you came to us and you had the heads of Ziba and Zalmunna with you, that might be a different story. But you're just talking. It's just fancy talk. So I'm sorry. We're not going to feed you, man. We don't want anything to do with this. And, you know, the Bible tells us that in the last days, brother will betray brother. And so here we see brother betraying brother. God has chosen Gideon to take down Midian. And uh, these men, these Israelites of Sukkoth are saying, we don't want anything to do with it in case it comes back on us. Now listen to Gideon's response. And Gideon said, therefore, when the Lord has delivered Ziba and Zalmunna into my hand, so he is quite confident that God will, in fact, bring him. Through. So he's, he's, been, he's proven God through the whole fleece experiment and the dream that the Midianite had. He knows absolutely God is going to come through. These men don't know that. And they're basically laughing at him and saying, I don't think so. We're not, we don't have anything to do with it. So he says, listen to how he responds. He says here, listen, therefore... When the Lord has delivered Ziba and Zalmunna into my hand, so he knows that God will do this, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with prayers. I'm basically going to skin you alive. This is an Israelite talking to fellow Israelites. This is what it has come to. So they've come into the promised land, and this, this is what it's come to. An Israelite now is, first of all, these Israelites are not going to support a brother in taking down the oppressor. 
And then because they don't support him, you know, he responded very differently to Ephraim. When Ephraim challenged him, he flattered Ephraim. You better not deal, you better not mess with Ephraim. That's a very powerful tribe. But these men of Sukkoth, not so powerful. And now we're beginning to see something emerging in Gideon's character, which is unlike what we saw in him earlier. Earlier, we saw quite a meek man and a man that was somewhat uncertain and was humble. Now we're beginning to see a level of arrogance that because you have chosen not to support me, when I come back, I'm going to torture you. I'm going to skin you alive. Therefore, when the Lord has delivered Ziba and Zalmunna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and briars. How dare you contradict me? How dare you embarrass me in front of my men? I'm going to destroy you, fellow Israelite. And he went uh, up there to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. So again, these men are faint. They've been fighting. They've been running. They've been, they're exhausted and they're hungry. So now he goes to another uh, place uh, in Israel and says to the men of Penuel, uh, the same thing. Can you, can you feed my men? We're taking down Midian and we're going after these princes. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered him. So what's, what's happened to Israel? And that's what, I guess that's what oppression does. Uh, when you've been oppressed for so long, what's that called? Stockholm syndrome, where you now have affinity with your oppressors. Uh, you know, and again, this is great for us to study so we can understand the psychology of what's going on today, that we are being oppressed by the Marxists. And we have an affinity. We defend the Marxists. We, we don't care about freedom anymore. We, 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 we don't care that the Marxists are trying to get more and more power as long as they give us free stuff. And we'd rather, we'd rather be oppressed and get free stuff than to be free and have to just rely on God and make our own way. So these men actually have affinity for Midian rather than a fellow Israelite who wants to take down Midian through the instruction of the Lord. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered him. And he spoke also unto the men of Penuel. Remember, these are Israelites, fellow Israelites. He spoke also unto the men of Penuel, saying, When I come again in peace, so he's absolutely confident that God is with him. He's going after the princes, the leaders of the kings of Midian. And when he's done with them, because he knows God will be with him, he says, I'm going to come back and I will break down this tower. So the tower in Penuel is a great symbol. And it's also a watchtower so that they can see and, and keep their place safe. He's now saying, I'm going to destroy that. Now, Ziba and Zalmunna were in Karkor and their armies with them, about 15,000 men. Remember, uh, Gideon only has 300 men. So these kings have 15,000 men, all that were left of all the armies of the children of the east. So remember, it was the Midianites, it was the Amalekites, and it was all of the children of the east. So now, Ziba and Zalmunna, they only have 15,000 men in their army. That's a big number compared to Gideon's army, but it's a small number compared to what they started with. So he says, for there fell 120,000 men that drew the sword. So Gideon's 300 men caused Ziba and Zalmunna to lose 120,000 men. So they started with 135,000 men. They're down to 15,000, and they're on the run. And Gideon went up by the way of them that dwell in tents on the east of Noba and Jagbiha. 
and struck the army for the host was secure. The army was secure. So he's gone in and he's, he's caught them. And when Ziba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued after them. So he's, he's fearless now. These are the kings of Midian and he's going after them. And when Ziba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued after them and took the two kings of Midian, Ziba and Zalmunna, and discomfited all the host. So very victorious. As he knew God would be with him, he was fearless now. And Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle before the sun was up. So that is quite, quite an accomplishment, quite a victory, and in a short order. And now he's coming back from battle. And caught a young man of the men of Succoth and inquired of him. So he knew he was cut. This young man was coming from Succoth. So they captured him and they inquired of him now. And he described unto him the princes of Succoth and the elders thereof, even threescore and seventeen men. So there are seventy-seven men that this young man of Succoth is giving Gideon the lay of the land. And these are the leaders, and this is how the, the clan is made up, and these are this is who they are, and this is what they look like. Uh, so Gideon is gathering this information because he made it clear what he was going to do to Succoth, what he was going to do the, to the leaders in Succoth. So this young man uh, gives Gideon the information that he needs about fellow Israelites. And he came unto the men of Succoth and said, Behold, this is quite something. They were laughing at him. They were scoffing him. And they were saying, like, why should we help you when you have these lofty dreams, these uh, pipe dreams, these sort of dreams of delusion, delusions of grandeur, that you're going to capture the kings of Midian and you want us to help you? And then we get into trouble for doing that? I don't think so. You're on your own. So he says, okay, that's the way, that's the way you're going to be about it. When I come back with the heads of Z Ziba and Zalmunna, uh, I'm going to torture you and I'm going to make you pay. So now he's successful. And he came unto the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Ziba and Zalmunna, with whom you did upbraid me, you scoffed at me, you laughed at me, saying, Are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna now in your hand, that we should give bread unto your men that are weary? And he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briers, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. In other words, he skinned them alive. He tortured them just the way he said he would. He wasn't joking. This is the man that started out all humble and uncertain and needed reassurance. Now he's become quite the tyrant and he doesn't tolerate any uh, um, ridicule. And he beat down the tower of Penuel. He said he would do that and slew the men of the city. These are Israelites. The reason God raised up Gideon was to save the Israelites. The Israelites were not good people. They were not nice people, but they were God's people, and God heard their cry. And so he raised up Gideon, not because Israel were good people, not because Gideon was a good person, but because of his covenant love for Israel. So he took a flawed man to save flawed people because of his flawless covenant love. That's what we have to understand. And now we're really seeing the flaws in this man. We're really seeing some terrible flaws. This is what he's doing to his own people. Then said he unto Ziba and Zalmunna, so, and not, not only does he slaughter his people, but these people, these kings are still alive. They're watching this. Then said he unto Ziba and Zalmunna, 
What manner of man, and now listen to this. This is Gideon. You want a perfect person to save Israel? There are no perfect people. The only perfect person was Christ. He's the true Messiah. But all of these messiahs in the book of Judges are flawed. You know, the first one, the story of Othniel, that one is like, wow, that's a real, that's a real mini savior that we can look up to. The rest, the stories are checkered. So now he's asking, listen to the question that he asks these kings. Then said he unto Ziba and Zalmunna, what kind of men were they whom you slew at Tabor? And they answered, they were like you, as you are, so were they. Each one resembled the child of a king. So they were dressed in a certain way that looked like you. The way you're dressed, you look like royalty. They had that look as well. And he said, so, so Gideon obviously is changing the way he dresses, the way he conducts himself, uh, his clan. And so this clan, these people were dressed like him. And he said, they were my brothers. The men you slew, they were my brothers. Even the sons of my mother. So you touched my blood. Now listen. As the Lord lives, now he's swearing an oath. As the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not slay you. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Is this Gideon talking? He sounds like Saul. When Samuel told Saul, go and slay the Amalekites, all of them completely. And then Saul has his own ideas. And then Samuel comes and he says, like, what's going on here? Like, why, why am I hearing this bleating of sheep? And why did you save the king? Now Gideon has his own ideas. What did God say to Israel? Deuteronomy 7 and verse 2. And when the Lord your God shall deliver these nations before you, you shall smite them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. So God says, look, I'm taking you into this land. These are very wicked people. I want you to go in the land and completely remove them. Rely on my instructions. I know what I'm telling you. Israel has a better idea. Israel's idea is we'll coexist with them. We'll make friendships with them. We'll marry their children. Our children will, their, our daughters will marry their sons. Our sons will marry their daughters. We'll worship together. We'll do business together. We'll just become one integrated people. And it completely corrupts them. And then God punishes them for that. And then he raises up this judge to put them back on course. And so the judge goes after Midian and completely slays them with just 300 men and, and God's miraculous hand. And now listen to Gideon. These were my brothers. If you had saved them alive, I would have spared you. Huh. That's not what God said to do. And, and, and oh, by the way, I swear by Yahweh. I swear by Jehovah. I'm bringing God into this. That I, would, I swear by God that I would disobey God if you had spared my brothers. Kind of strange. This is Gideon. Continuing in verse 20. And he said to Jether, his firstborn. So Gideon has become 
this great leader in Israel. And all Israel is now seeing him as the leader and you don't mess with him. He will skin you alive. He will torture you if you mess with him. So he has now become this, like a king in Israel. So his firstborn is next in line. His firstborn is sort of that, that heir apparent. And so he says to his firstborn, up and slay them. And that would now be an honor to, to Jether. The same way that uh, Gideon has developed this reputation among Israel, that now if his firstborn comes up and slays the kings of Midian, that's going to put this sort of mantle on him, that, that, uh, that uh, Gideon wants his son to have this respect of the nation. Up and slay them. But the youth disobeyed him. The youth drew not his sword. Why? For he feared because he was yet a youth. Kind of reminds us of Gideon himself. Remember in uh, how God worked with him and down to the point of Judges 7.10, where God finally says, look, if you're still afraid, uh, then go, go with your servant uh, Pura uh, to the army and then listen in and you'll hear this dream and, and again, then you'll finally get over your fears. So God worked with him because of his fearfulness. And now he's not fearful anymore. Now he's brutal. Now he's like a, a, a warlord. And his son, his firstborn son, he wants him to have the same honor now that he has inherited as a warlord. But his son is actually, you know, the, what's the, 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 the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. So his son is fearful and he can't, he can't slaughter it, uh, people like this. Then Ziba and Zelmuna said, you do it yourself. You rise and fall upon us. We're kings. Don't be humiliated by having some boy slaughter us. You do it. Rise you and fall upon us. For as the man is, so is his strength. So show yourself a man. And Gideon arose and slew Ziba and Zalmunna. And notice again, listen to this and took away the ornaments that were on their camel's necks. And we know that these are uh, moon worshipers, and they would have the crescent moon on, on the camels. And, and this was like regalia. So this is some very fascinating jewelry. And he liked it, and he liked the regalia. So he kept that for himself. Hmm, curious. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule you over us, both you and your son and your son's son also. For you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. The very conclusion that God did not want them to come to. That the conclusion God wanted them to come to is, wow, God is faithful and he really does love us. And now because they see after seven years of oppression, they finally see this freedom that has come to them. As far as they're concerned, Gideon and Gideon's clan can rule over them for the rest of their lives. So they're happy to turn over the, the sovereignty to Gideon and to make Gideon the king of Israel. Now, Gideon has a good response here, at least, at least on the surface. But, but remember here, in like, and why Gideon would have this response back in chapter 7, the Lord, verse 2, the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with you are too many. So he had, I think, 32,000 people. He got that down to uh, uh, 12,000. Uh, I think 20,000 went home. 
The people that are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. This would run counter to what God is trying to accomplish with Israel. That if they think they did it themselves, they're not going to come to this place of true repentance and true intimacy with God. So the too many people, so God whittles down the army so that Israel would not come to the conclusion that they've done it themselves. And in verse 18, we see Gideon now. How does he instruct his army? He says, when I blow with a trumpet in chapter 7, verse 18, when I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow you the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Why and of Gideon? Why, why are you putting yourself in there? God says, I don't want Israel to think that they've done it themselves. I want them to know that I have miraculously saved them. It's like me saying, you know, we're going to go and we're going to preach the gospel in this area. And, and, and you know we, know, we know that supernaturally that God is going to help us. He's revealed that to us. So when we go in, we're going to say the sword of everybody, you know, repeat after me, the sword of the Lord and, and the sword of Adrian, like include me in there too. So if they come to the conclusion that, hey, you saved us, I'm the one who set this up. I didn't say, let's make, let's be clear, the sword of the Lord, period. God has done this, but he set it up that, hey, Gideon has done this. So it's no wonder that they come to the conclusion, okay, you saved us. We want you to rule over us. Now, Gideon does have a good response. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you. Neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Beautiful. That is exactly the right response, if only it were true. And what I mean by that is, if only he could actually live this. But right away, we see him looking at the, the, the golden jewelry on the camels and, uh, of the kings and wanting that for himself, that kingly jewelry. I'll have that. I'll have that for me and my family. Okay, red flag. We want you to rule over us, Gideon. Oh, no, 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 no. The Lord will rule over you. That's right. That's a good response, but that's talk. What about actions? So, and, and I, I think he means well, I think he really means this, but human beings are flawed and God uses flawed humans. So let's not look at a human being and say, because they're flawed, God would never use them. Look how flawed this man is. And yet God used him. And Gideon said unto them, okay, I'm not going to rule over you. I know you want me to rule over you. you want my son, my grandchildren, my great grandchildren to rule over you. you. Want us to set up a dynasty. We're not going to do that. I don't want to rule over you. But can I just ask you a small favor? And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So they're, they're mixed in with Midian, and they're Ishmaelites, and they're moon worshippers. The crescent moon, that's their jewelry. They're worshippers of Baal. And these are very fancy jewels. And Gideon has an eye for it. And he says, you know what? Just give me the spoils. And they answered and they said, we will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight 
of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold, beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment. Again, purple back in this time was the color of royalty, was very expensive, was beautiful. Now, most people are going around in sackcloth and drab black and gray and, and um, like a canvas. But this is purple raiment. Beside ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on the kings of Midian. So he had an eye for this. And beside the chains that were about their camel's necks. So he wants all of this wealth. I'm not going to rule over you, but do you mind giving me all the wealth? And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. So that's where this whole has kind of come full circle. This whole saga began in Ophrah with the worship of Baal. And now it ends in Ophrah with Gideon setting up an ephod in Ophrah. And I don't think he set this up to be an idol. I think he set it up to say, look, God is going to rule over you. Let's put this in place so that you can consult this and know that God is your, your ruler. So I think he, his heart is in the right place, but he's flawed. And so he sets up this ephod and what happens? And all Israel went there, a whoring after it. This is Gideon. This is Ophrah, where the whole thing began. And Israel plays the whore. And all Israel went there, a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. So this is the, 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 the full circle of Gideon. Yes, he had this wonderful moment where he took down the Midianites. But prior to that, we see a very flawed character. And after that, and almost as a result of that, we see a very flawed character. Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted up their heads no more. So Gideon was successful in the mission of putting down the Midianites. But unfortunately, uh, kind of the law of irony, he sets up this ephod, and Israel then uses it as an idol. And the country was in quietness for 40 years in the days of Gideon. So that is the purpose of the judge, is to put down the oppression, to put down the enemies. So Gideon did that, but it wasn't an absolute success. He, his character changed, and the people hoard themselves after the, the ephod that he set up. And Jeroboam, the son of Joash, and this is interesting, the narrator previously had always referred to him as Gideon, the son of Joash. And Jeroboam was a, like a, a secondary name that his father gave him when they confronted uh, the, the Baal worship. But now he's set up idol worship. And now he's known now, at least here in this, this sentence, uh, he's now Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So just interesting that he's no longer Gideon, the son of Joash, after setting up the idolatry. He's now Jeroboam. So let, let Baal contend for himself. And irony of irony, although he's defeated the Midianites, now Baal worship is gaining traction again within Israel. And again, very similar to what we see here, that you know the, the Western nations were very successful in, in you know, conquering uh, the, 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 the communists and conquering the Islamists and establishing a, a, a free nation and a, a nation based on biblical law 
the, the Bible and the Judeo-Christian principles. And then irony of ironies, through our immigration policy and open-mindedness, etc., we've allowed these very ideologies to infiltrate the West and lead the West now in Baal worship. It's kind of the law of irony. And Gideon, now listen to the character of this man. He's, he's been very successful. He's almost worshipped as, you know, you saved us single-handedly. You saved us, Gideon. We give him all this wealth. He's got incredible wealth now, and he's just incredible honor. And Gideon had three score and ten sons of his body begotten. So these are not adoption, adopted sons. He had 70 sons from his own body. He had a lot of women, for he had many wives. You know, when you're that powerful and you're that honored and you're worshiped that much, basically you have your pick of the litter. And his eye sees a woman and he likes her. Oh, I'll marry you. Come on over. And then, oh, well, come on over. And he has all these wives. A bit of an egotistical problem here. And you can see when you have that many wives, there's no true deep affection with any of them. They're just there to help you know, give you children and, and satisfy your lusts. This is Gideon. This is Gideon. Not a perfect man, but the man that God chose and the man that was faithful in the mission that God assigned him to. So he had 70 sons of his own body because he had lots of wives. And his concubine, now get this, this is what floors me. So we're looking at the end of his life here. This floors me. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bore him a son. So he has lots of wives. He's got concubines. And this wife, this concubine that's in Shechem, she also bore him a son whose name he called Abimelech, which can be translated, my father is king. So I won't rule over you, but I'm going to call my son, my father is king. So clearly, uh, Gideon has a very high opinion of himself to have all these women, to have all these sons, and then to call this son, my father is king. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age. So he lived a long time. He did his mission of freeing Israel from Midian, but he wasn't a perfect man. He was flawed. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age, and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash's father in Ophrah of the Abizrites. Remember, the whole story began in Ophrah, and it has its ending here in Ophrah, and now Israel has gone back into idolatry. And it came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again and went to whoring after Baalim and made Baal Bereth their god. So first they're worshiping the ephod that he set up, and that, that, that becomes, a, they're whoring after that. Gideon fights off the Midianites, but once he's dead, now they're going after Baal worship again. That quickly. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God. Like, are we getting tired of this story? Like, this, these people are just prone to the, this wickedness. They just have a heart in them that inclines to this. And so how is it different today? If God raises up somebody who can save his people, how is it different today? They have a heart in them for evil. 
That's why it's not enough to save people physically. They've got to be converted. And Moses made that very clear in the Torah. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God, who had delivered them, he's the one that delivered them, out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jeroboam, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. Like that is quite the statement. For everything that he did for them, for how he pushed back the Midianites and set them up and freed them, they now, at this point, they've forgotten. You know, 40 years is a long time. I mean, it's short, but it's, it's fast. It's short, but it's long. Like it's like 40 years, a lot can happen in 40. The whole world can change in 40 years as we ourselves are witnessing in the last five years, how much the world has changed. But try to think back 40 years ago, how the world was. And so now this man that God raised up to free them, they've forgotten and they don't care. And they show no kindness to his house. This is Israel. So it's, it's quite a story. We'll just read the first part of chapter 9. We'll continue, God willing, with the rest of chapter 9 next week. And Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem. So remember, Abimelech, my father is king. This is the son of the concubine who was given this name, kind of singled out by, by uh, Gideon himself. Gideon named him. And Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren, so there, his mother, the concubine from Shechem, he goes there because he has blood brothers there. So he goes to them and he communed with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Speak, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem. So he's talking to his family, his blood brothers, and he's saying, Talk to all of Shechem. Whether is better for you, either that all the sons of Jeroboam which are three score and 10 persons reign over you. So he actually, there is a dynasty now. Oh, I won't reign over you, nor will my sons reign over you, but I'll just call this son, my, my, my father is king. And now he's dead. And there's a situation that Abimelech is looking at it and he's going to Shechem and he's saying, look at the situation. Jeroboam is dead and his 70 sons are ruling over Israel. So I'm talking to you men of Shechem to think about this and what is better for you. Either that all the sons of Jeroboam, which are 70 people, reign over you, or that one reign over you. So you have a choice. We know that Gideon was the king, and so now his 70 children are going to rule over Israel, or you could have me. What's better, one person rule over you? or 70 people rule over you, which are not related to you, except that, you know, Jeroboam is their father. Or that one reign over you. Remember also that I'm your bone and your flesh. So think about it. I come from Shechem. I'm a blood relation to you. These other 70 sons, they're not from Shechem. You want them ruling over you, or you want me ruling over? Either way, we know that Jeroboam was the king. And now that the king is dead, his sons reign in his stead. So how do, we, how do you want this to, to play out? And his mother's brothers spoke of him in the ears of all the men of Shechem, all these words. And their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he's our brother. 
It's like, you know, we, we can't think past our skin. He's got the same skin as us. He's got the same blood as us. We'll go with him. We don't care that these are Israelites that we're talking about. You know, we're, we're, we, care, we care about our family. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver. Excuse me. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Berith. This is the, uh, the, the covenant of Baal. This is, this is where they worship. Instead of the covenant of Jehovah, they, they have the covenant of Baal. They, the, 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 here's the house of, uh, of, uh, of, of this um, pagan worship. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Berith, wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light persons which followed him. So this would be the equivalent of the Antifa of the day. Stupid people. Losers who are going nowhere that are easily manipulated. Wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light persons which followed him. And he went unto his father's house at Ophrah. And he murdered, he slew his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, 70 people. So whatever position... Jeroboam, Gideon, had attained to within Israel. It was highly coveted. And this position of kingship, uh, 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 this son, he did not want to share it. Abimelech did not want to share it with the other 70. That's how powerful Gideon was. That's how desirable his position in Israel was. Oh, I won't rule over you. Nor will my sons rule over you. God will rule over you. But when he dies, now there's a contest as to who will rule over Israel in his place. All 70 sons or Abimelech? So they now they, it's so desirable that they'll actually slaughter fellow Israelites, fellow children of, of Jeroboam. That's what power does to people. They'll stop at nothing. Notwithstanding yet, Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. So had, even if they found the child, they would have slaughtered the child. But he hid. And that's the only reason he lived, is that he escaped. These are power-hungry people. This doesn't change. You know why it doesn't change? Because human beings change. Human beings come and go. But it's, it's the same devil. It's the same Satan who lusts for power and uses human beings as puppets. So all the patterns that we see here, those patterns are still around us today because it's the same devil. And all the men of Shechem gathered together and all the house of Milo and went and made Abimelech king by the plain of the pillar that was in Shechem. This is Gideon's legacy. The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Oh, Gideon, you saved us. You rule over us. Oh, no, no, I couldn't possibly rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. But you know what? All this wealth, give me all of that wealth. Of course. And now he's the most powerful person. And in effect, he becomes the king. That when he dies, his 70 sons are now ruling over Israel. And Abimelech comes up with this scheme to say, no. Shechem, do you want 70 sons? where they're going to make decisions and not necessarily in your favor? Or do you want me, a man of Shechem, 
will always rule in your favor over the rest of Israel. Yeah, we want you. Okay, let's slaughter all of Gideon's children. This is Gideon's legacy. So what we want to be clear about as we study the judges is the poor character of Israel, God's people, God's chosen people, how, how low their character was and how that did not deter God, that God has a plan for Israel, their character or lack of character notwithstanding, because he's made a promise to the patriarchs. And because of that promise to the patriarchs, he's going to fulfill it. And so this whole thing that we see playing out on the earth today, nobody knows what's going on on planet earth. Everybody's confused, except for the people who understand the Bible and understand that God has a plan. And his plan very much involves Israel, despite their poor character. And because of their poor character, this, uh, how should we say, this punishment that we see Israel constantly subjected to is just going to constantly intensify until the ultimate suffering, which is a time of suffering that is unprecedented. And it is specifically the time of Jacob's trouble. It's specifically the time of Israel's trouble because God is going to drive Israel to true repentance. And the other thing that we see is again, because of this covenant love, it's not just a superficial love, because of this covenant love that God has for Israel, he will use men that are flawed. And these flawed men will do God's will. And we can't look at the men and say, because he's flawed, I will not accept God's help. This is a pretty flawed man that we just studied. When we look at his career, the whole arc of the career, it's not the greatest uh, testimony. And yet, he's considered faithful. He's considered faithful because he did what God raised him up to do. So let's think about this. Let's think about God's covenant love for his people. And let's praise God and thank God for his covenant faithfulness. Jesus Christ, what a faithful God we serve declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient days that which is not yet done saying my plans shall stand we stand on the solid rock praise god